This year, I'll close in on 200 podcast episodes. Yes, I do like to talk. One of our most popular episodes premiered about a year ago with today's guest. And our executive producer, Cindy Pereira, is one smart cookie. Invite Lindsay Hoffman back, she told me. So I did what I was told. Last year, we helped folks understand just how exciting strategic planning can be with a recipe for strategic visioning. During that conversation, Lindsay spoke about the importance of developing organizational values as part of that process. At that time, I kind of imagined listeners rolling their eyes, and I said to Lindsay, you know, this might sound a little woo-woo for board members. Further, skeptics want plans and they don't have a lot of time, so dedicating some of that precious resource to talking about what the organization stands for, what you believe and value, hmm. Today, we argue it is essential to great strategy work, and today, Lindsay's going to tell you why, but I'll give you a hint. She sees time and again that having values drives resources, human and financial, and the process of developing these values is valuable in a host of other really important ways. Intrigued? Yeah, I thought so. And no, there is nothing woo-woo about driving resources to your organization. But I'll let Lindsay tell you about that in just a minute. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Lindsay Hoffman is a nonprofit consultant whose practice combines strategic visioning and planning, program design, and fundraising strategy for a wide range of organizations. She brings to her work a deep commitment to equity, the ability to ask the right question at the right time, strong project management and facilitation skills, strategic insights, and a warmth and generosity of spirit that adds just the right element of joy to every project. Both as a staff leader and a consultant, Lindsay has worked with organizations dedicated to human services, public health, data science, visual and performing arts, movement building, and the pursuit of justice and racial equity for us and our neighbors. Her career started in program design and development, and in total, she's helped organizations attract nearly $200 million in resources. Lindsay holds a degree in economics from Dartmouth College. She lives in northern Westchester with her partner, Matt, and her delicious toddler, Julian, her daily collaborator on bedtime stories, Legos, and making large messes. Lindsay, I love talking with you and how great it is that we can toss microphones in front of each other, and let people listen in. Thanks in advance for a great conversation. Oh, ditto, Joan. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> I will, just for the sake of those who have not heard a podcast with me and Lindsay. Lindsay and I have worked together on a bunch of strategic visioning projects. So everything that I said in that intro about Lindsay, I am a validator of those things. I can affirm and be a testimonial for Lindsay across the board on all the things that were written in her intro. Let's drive right to this. Let's start with why. I think there's some author that talks about starting with why. (laughs) 
that I like. I don't think you like him so much. Anyway, what is the values work fundamentally about? Why do we do it? Well, okay. So, I mean, everyone has organizational values, right? Like people in the nonprofit space tend to be very values driven. Right. And, you know, every institution in this space was founded on a set of beliefs and assumptions about the world and commitments and, and principles. And so, so organizational values are the underpinning of everything that we do in this space. But often they're not necessarily obvious, you know, or, or they're not necessarily easy to put into words. Mm. I'm, I've been, I don't know, I, I think about a lot about this and I think a lot about how to go about connecting with them and, and putting in the time and the reflection and the conversation needed to, yeah, turn these, these vague sentiments that undergird your organization into written articulations, into a full organizational value statement. So I teased to your comment earlier, I teased in the open that values drive resources, human and financial. How could this be? Talk to this. How does something that sort of feels a little woo-woo actually drive resources, human and financial? When you can put into words what you believe in, in a way that is clear and authentic and really captures what you're about, I mean, that touches people. Like people remember it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that people are going to go to your website and read your value statement and memorize it, but it's going to come through in all of your communications. If they do go to your website, especially if it's adjacent to a, to a mission statement or some hints about what you do tangibly, you know, it lets people know what you're really about. And honestly, it's, it's that sense of shared values that leads people to want to be involved with you. And yeah, as you hinted at earlier, it's also what leads people to want to donate. And I'm convinced that people remember that more than they remember their, your mission statement. They definitely remember it more than your, you know, the details of your programs or your, your logic model or your theory of change. On, yeah, on a, on a gut and heart level, this is what draws people in. Right. And so you're talking about the impact that it has on, let's say, board recruitment, right? Is that you've actually got to touch a prospect, right? It isn't only just a head decision. Is that, that the kind of thing you're talking about? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that, yeah, you've been reflecting on this recently, like uh, a job description. People don't sign up for a job because of the list of responsibilities. Completely involved. true. <laughs> Completely true. People don't join a membership association for the list of benefits that you offer. I don't know if you think about, if you think about where you donate your money, it's most often driven by this sense of alignment, the sense of a shared set of values, you know, a shared set of beliefs that come with a lot of trust. I mean, honestly, if you think about why, why so many Christians in the U S give money to churches, it's not because they're thinking about that church's logic model. It's because there is a sense that this institution shares their values and they don't actually need to know anything about how the church spends that money. They just feel compelled to be involved and they feel compelled to support it. That's, a, that's just really interesting. You know, speaking of job descriptions, didn't strike me till you just said this, is we have, like, let's say in the last six months, we have made 
two hires to our team in the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, which is our membership site for small to mid-sized nonprofits and their leaders, right? And our job posting is crawling with our values in a way that it never was before. Mm-hmm. Yep. Particularly because of the sort of deep commitment we are making to impact the sector as a whole through our work by setting more and more non-white leaders up to succeed. Yeah. And so those values are dripping all over our job postings. And I am here to tell you, Lindsay, that the candidate pool has changed so much once we make our Mm -hmm. values explicit. And we have our last two hires said that they (laughs) talked about those values as being kind of the hook that said, yes, I have these skills, but look at this. I ha- I, mm-hmm. These are values I share. That's what you're talking about here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this, and really it, it, it drives, you know, this is especially important for membership associations. So mm. not just for hiring, but for engaging anyone to be part of your community. Yeah, this is, I I think that these statements can be transformative. But the truth is, Joan, I mean, you've been thinking about value statements for the Nonprofit Leadership Lab for quite a few years. So back in February 2020, (laughs) I ran a process with you and our team at the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. And it was there that we started reflecting on what matters most to each of us, how this manifests in our work. And, And I don't think that those... And it was a really cute set of value statements that we that we generated. It was it, it came. Was, <laughs> I think I put it, it in the form a, of a recipe. Recipe, yeah, uh, totally, mm-hmm. totally. It was it was. Uh, but you know what's really interesting for those who are listening is those values are part of. We just started. Uh, you know, we're a maturing company now. We started a performance review process, and the template that we built for performance reviews has those values. And one of the things that people here in the lab have to assess themselves on is how did I bring these values to life in my work this year? And when I'm setting goals for the coming year, how am I going to bring these values to life this year? And the, the, the assumption here is that there's going to be intentionality and that there's going to be impact against those values. So yeah. you don't have to sell me on the values thing, Lindsay. I, you kind of had me at hello with this. Let's talk about the characteristics of great values statements. What what are we going for when you sit with a client who, in fact, may be a little bit skeptical that we're spending a ton of time on values or an amount of time on values? Let's talk about what what makes a value statement great. You know, I think it's interesting. If you you ask most people, okay, could you you name one of your organization's values? You immediately get crickets. Or, or they they start generating a list of virtues. Mm, what, what's it? Okay, so list, wait, wait, wait. I'm stopping you. Virtue yeah. versus value. So a list of virtues. So a list of virtues might include kindness, compassion, mm. integrity. Like these are useful concepts and and sometimes very important concepts. But but often they can come across as sort of generic. Yeah. And if you can if you can take those concepts, whether they're virtues or, or there are a few different varieties, and I can explain like the few different tones that value statements can take. But I think what's important about them is is that they are unique to you and your organization, that they shed light on something that's fundamental to you and your team. And 
yeah, they're not necessarily transferable to another organization. Okay. So, so in addition to, you know, virtues like, like kindness, which is great. Sure. Value statements generally fall into categories like attitudes. Hmm. So actually side note, I think for the, when we first did the nonprofit leadership labs statements, one of the values was about humor, Mm -hmm. as much humor and joy as we can from every day. I pulled this before before our podcast, amidst the intensity and urgency of mission-driven work, we always seem to find absurdity and silliness, a chuckle, or a full-on belly laugh is our KPI for a joyful day. So anyway, that was our original version of uh, of one. So anyway, that captures like the organization's attitude. Others are about your beliefs. And these are your assumptions about the world, about about cause and effect. Mm. And so one example from a group that I worked with called Women in Animation. That's a mm-hmm. professional association. Oh, one interesting. Of, one of their statements is a, is a belief statement. Well, it starts by saying, we stand for gender justice. We mm-hmm. recognize that gender is non-binary and intersects with every other aspect of identity. We advocate for gender justice because it will benefit all of us. We are inextricably linked and we all deserve to be treated fairly. And okay. I don't know, I like that because it like, it, it makes you go, parts of it make you go, yeah, totally. And then other parts are like, whoa, I'm so curious about where they're going with this. Like, I want to learn more. I want to understand what this means for them, how this shows up. So anyway, beliefs are this other category. Organizational behaviors are another category about, yeah, commitments that you hold yourself to, ways that you want your organization to interact with the world, ways that you expect to, to interact with each other. I have one good example of a, of a behavioral value from the New York County Defender Service, which is the public defender's office in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. So they represent criminal defendants in Manhattan courts. And their top value right at the top is respect. Respect for our clients' humanity is at the core of everything we do. Yep. And yep. yeah, I mean, that, that's a principle that informs how they do their work in very tangible ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the other kind of catch-all category, yeah, statements about qualities that you treasure in yourself, qualities that make you proud to be a part of the place. I, I think I have another example. Um, we courageously forge new paths. We trust in our vision and ourselves. We're not afraid of uncharted territory. We are brave in using our voice and offering our perspectives. Mm. That's just like, yeah, this is something we're really proud of. And this is something that we actualize you know, it's something that we it shows up in our behaviors, but yeah, we hope it'll that, that you want to buy into this also. When you create value statements, do you? I'm just being really super tactical for listeners. Can they be a kind of a potpourri of beliefs and what mm-hmm. you know attitudes? Like it, it doesn't have to be all one or all the other, or like I have to check boxes. Like just, I was just curious. Yeah. No. Totally. I mean, I, there's there are no rules here. I personally like it when organizations switches it up and they offer in some attitudes some beliefs. Yeah. And and some, some behaviors that they're committed to. I also like when they're simple. Simple is good. That's the other thing. I think another characteristic of great value statement is that it's simple and that you are not trying to jam in many more than, than five, maybe six concepts in there. Right. And you're not, I mean, the examples are so powerful, actually. We're not talking about taglines here. Let's be really clear, right? Like every time I see a Subaru commercial and they talk about Subaru is love, I'm like, no, it's a car. (laughs) 
Right. Now, I happen to know that Subaru has a lot of really great values, actually. And I bet if I dug deeper into Subaru as a company and what I know about Subaru, as they were very, very integral and early on supporters of LGBT organizations, that they have all kinds of values. But I just want to make it really clear: we're not we're not talking about tag statement taglines under incomprehensible mission statements or the name of your organization. We're ask you're asking people to dig deep about what they stand for. Yeah, yeah. It takes time and effort, and it's sometimes excruciating. And I think that's why I obsess over this and why I'm so interested in the process. So, okay, so I wanted, did you cover everything you wanted to on characteristics of great value statements in terms of tone and format? I think so. It yeah. really, these really can vary. I, I I love when they reflect an organization's personality. And, you know, sometimes that's easier if you have a communications professional on your staff. Yeah. But, you know, one rule of thumb might be to think about how they would look on your website and whether they seem readable. And, and that's usually a guide towards making things simpler rather than than more verbose. Good. So we have learned, so I'm, I'm leading the witness here, we have learned that great value statements enable organizations to make better decisions. And I don't believe that for some people that are listening that that is completely obvious, right? So can you el- elaborate and maybe it may, if you have an example of how mm-hmm. how a values how strong value statements drive better decision making because we're making the case here that value statements make your organization stronger and invite more people in. So let's mm-hmm. let's talk about stronger is about better decisions. Yeah. I mean half of this is about those final polished statements on your website or wherever you choose to to drop them. And they're very useful. I mean, it's extremely useful to have a tangible set of statements that you can drop into job descriptions and reports and and annual reports and whatnot. But the value that, the value, that's a thing. When you're talking about values, you can use that verb everywhere. (laughs) Okay. To make better decisions, the real gold here is in the process itself. And it's it's in that excruciating process of wrestling through this to hash out core principles and to do that with a group of people who are in it with you and who by the end of the day will internalize the results of these conversations. So they might not remember your final value statement word for word, but they're going to remember the big stakes in the ground and Mm -hmm. why they matter. So, okay. An example of this. I think in our last podcast, we talked about this client that you and I worked on together, Free Mom Hugs. Yes. And Free Mom Hugs is an LGBTQ organization. They started by showing up to pride parades and offering hugs to folks. And they were, their board meetings, their staff meetings had been consistently stricken by these questions that kept coming up about moms and hugs. I mean, are we really only about moms? Like, what about dads? What about kids who don't have a mom? You know, what, what does this mean? Like, why, you know, if we're an LGBTQ inclusive organization, why are we being so gendered about this? Yeah. And then this question about hugs, because we we met them at the very beginning of the pandemic <laughs> and they were like, we don't think we can hug people for a while. Like there's no hugging. There are no pride parades. Yeah. You, um, why, by the way, this is about. Right. And by the way, this is where we get into the excruciating part of the process. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this was, so this was our work and we ended up, generating value statements that defined mom and defined hug 
And we work with them to to realize that, okay, first of all, mom, for this organization, mom is not a person or a noun. Mom is actually a verb. And it's about this act of mothering and of caring. And that can come from anyone. Mm-hmm. And, and we rooted it, in, you know, we did some critical literature reviews to figure out how other, you know, philosophers have thought about the concept of moms and mothering and, and realized like, okay, there is a, you know, there's a greater precedent for, yeah, for broadening the definition of this word for them. And in the same way, we actually broadened the definition of hug and talked about it as any, as any act of care and, mm-hmm. and comfort and, you know, this extension of compassion to someone else. and. So anyway, so they, you know, this is manifested in all sorts of ways and it really has been a guide for all of their strategies. Yeah. And so when you start to extrapolate what's the value underneath hug, then there were, you know, mm-hmm. there there was discussions like, well, not, we can't hug, what can we do instead? And there was a group of people who wanted to do, <laughs> wanted to do hugging in Chicago or something and they, they couldn't do hugs. And it was like, they wanted to do cookbooks, right? So like... <laughs> Like there's all, you know, all kinds of different ways. If you tease out what's underneath the word hug, it actually opens up a lot of things that are, that are underpin what the founder actually was doing the first time she showed up at a pride parade and started hugging people for whom in many cases, I mean, this was powerful in many cases, this is, these are people that had not gotten a hug from a parental person or figure in a long yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. You know okay. That? So the excruciating process, I know you've all been waiting because who doesn't want to spend some time listening to about the processes that are excruciating. I know you've given a lot of thought to this and you've done this work tons of time. And sometimes I've actually had the pleasure of doing some of it with you. So let's talk about, okay. Let's say you you got me. I got to do values. I I, th- I think this makes sense. How how do I go about doing it? Who's involved? How, you know, just just give us the the recipe, if you will. There are some very clean ways of doing this, and some more messy ways. And I happen to prefer <laughs> allowing some <laughs> messiness mm-hmm. because I I really do think that the results are more heartfelt and authentic. And I think that messy conversations have value. So my favorite way to do this is to assemble a group of people who really get it, understand the DNA of your organization and have passion for it. And, you know, you don't have many of these people who feel about it as strongly as the founder originally did, for example. Mm-hmm. So, so we're talking about maybe six to 10 people who are close to the organization. And ideally, they have some diversity of perspective between, between them. And are they, and, are they board staff? Could they be neither? I'm just curious about sort of the kinds of roles. Does, is that relevant? Does mm-hmm. there be a diversity of roles? Board, staff, constituents, yeah, friends. Okay. Friends of the organization, if they really are, you know, longtime allies who are who are in it with you. I mean, this really, I, I do highly recommend including board members mm-hmm. in each of these conversations. It doesn't have to be everyone on the board, but yeah, you want some ambassadors for the final product. Bingo. Okay, so that's my that's my who. And then you, you know, you introduce this this exercise to everyone and you give them each a chance to reflect individually on the organization's values. 
But more significantly, you give them a chance to reflect on topics that are tangential to those values. Because like I said, when you ask people to name a value, they're like, kindness? So anyway, so so I these questions are they're so similar to the questions that we use for strategic visioning work in general. But but you ask them to reflect on questions like, why did you get involved with this? What do you think is the special sauce here? Why do you think everyone involved in this organization is so happy to be a part of it? Why do you think this work is so important? And and yeah, what core values? Well, actually, I think one one good question is, what core values and beliefs do you personally bring to this work? Because actually, it is a little bit easier to think about yourself personally before extrapolating it into an organization. Mm, that makes sense. But you have you have everyone share their thoughts and record them either in a survey form or an interview form, and then you combine everyone's feedback and you share it back to the group and you give everyone a chance to read each other's perspectives, and then you get everyone in a room together and you talk about it. And oh, is, so when I do the, the when part. I do the when I do the indiv- the individual exercise, I'm doing that. I'm playing the home version of that game. I'm like sitting at my I'm sitting at home thinking about this, yeah. and I and I submit it, and then you you collate it, and then play everybody's back to each other. So the the, the compilation is is put in front of everybody. Exactly. Part okay. Of the power in that is giving everyone a chance to reflect individually, personally. Yeah. Yeah, like alone. Because honestly, you you get better thinking than if you throw everyone into a group brainstorming session. And some people are just better at that kind of work than they are at offering ideas in a group. And yeah, the results of that three-hour meeting will be a lot better if you give everyone a chance to reflect on the questions ahead of time, record their responses, share them, and then start the start the messy conversation. Well, it seems to me too, Lindsay, that, and we've seen it a million times, right, is that if you do this as a group from the very get-go, people's responses are shaped by the person who just spoke, mm-hmm. or, right? Yeah. And so you're like, oh, yeah, I really like I really like what mm-hmm. Tamika said, right? Or, you know, Jameis said something really smart. I like that, right? Right. So it ends up becoming groupthink as opposed to what do I personally think about my own connection to this organization and how it aligns with my own personal values. Precisely. Precisely. But then if you give everyone a chance to hear each other in a different way, to read those thoughts ahead of time, yeah, everything gets aired out in a more spacious, more productive way. And it allows for deeper conversations like, oh, you know, I, I read this line about X, Y, Z. What did you mean by that? Uh-huh. What are the ingredients, the special sauce here? What are we What are we hearing as most important? I'm Honestly, I think that this messy conversation is best when you let it completely spiral for a while <laughs> based on whatever jumps out at everyone as, as meaningful. And it can, it might have nothing to do with the, your eventual value statements, but what we're, you're doing is yeah, you're reflecting on everything that's tangential. So, you know, you're going to hear some ideas about future projects and maybe someone will offer thoughts about adjusting your mission statement or you'll someone will pose some questions that are like, oh, wow, that, that just stump everybody. Mm-hmm. And and the trick is to, to capture all of it and to, to toss it all into a parking lot to process later and to address later. The nature of that conversation allows everyone to put their brains and their hearts deeply immersed in the organization and what matters. 
So that eventually when you steer that conversation towards principles, stuff starts bubbling to the surface. Mm. There's a couple of things that come to mind when you talk. One is that how very important it is for, you know, close stakeholders, I specifically think about board or staff, but others to actually understand, let's say I'm a board member, my values, right? It, it actually helps me, to, it helps you to create a deeper relationship with me, right? Is I am, when I understand, yeah. when you understand what drives your, your, your partner or your, you know, colleague, mm -hmm. right? Then, and, and then there builds a, an alignment, not only alignment, but a cohesion, which is something that is so important. It's so important on staff. It is actually so vital on boards, right? So that feels, that feels really important. I, I presume this, this kind of messy three-hour conversation is best facilitated by someone who tries to keep everybody on the bucking bronco, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I've, I, and that, I think that can be done by an internal staff person. Could be, right? Yeah. You do need to appoint someone to be the lead writer to mash all of this up into actual draft statements. So organic statements aren't going to be, yeah, you you, you should appoint just one person to deal with the, uh, the synthesis of ideas here because it's going to be a lot. And when someone goes off on a tangent and says, we should redo our mission statement, is it a, let's put that in a parking lot or... How does that talk a little bit more, Tommy, about how your thought about the mission statement yeah. ties yeah. into the conversation we're having? Like, yep. the, it didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, for some people, ideas come out of nowhere. That is certainly true. But for most people, it was ignited by something that was said in the room. And to try to figure out what that was and put it back in the room and not dismiss it as a digression feels really important. For each of the debates that will inevitably arise, you want to draw it back to the deeper principles that people are reacting to. And, you know, sometimes it's, I don't know, it's messy. <laughs> it's messy, but, but, and the truth is you're not going to succeed and you, you will leave, you know, the meeting with, you know, more questions than you have answers, but, but you'll also have these clues about what is most core. And you'll have clues about those attitudes and beliefs. And you'll have a lot of content, actually. You'll have a lot of raw, authentic, authentically generated content yeah. to inform, yeah, your first draft of these values. The Nonprofit Leadership Lab is led by Joan Gary and is the world's best online community for leaders of small nonprofits. Learn how to raise more money, build the board of your dreams, grow a large audience of supporters, and so much more. To learn more and request an invitation to become a member, please go to nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. That's nonprofitleadershiplab.com slash podcast. So we are talking with Lindsay Hoffman, who is one of my all-time favorite strategic planning consultants. I have done many a gig with Lindsay. And but what we're talking about today is the importance of values in an organization, how critical they are to inviting people to know and do more for your organization, to, to really help you to define who you are that is unique and distinctive in the world, and how that factors into strategic visioning, strategic planning, how it's part of strategy work. This kind of, 
you know, higher level, deeper thinking. And what I was going to say earlier was that people love these kinds of conversations once they are in them because they aren't about, did we sell enough tickets to the gala? We're behind on this line of revenue. How much, why is this expense number over? You've moved from fiduciary, for for a board member to participate, you've moved from fiduciary to strategic to a super high cruising altitude generative conversation. And to be really honest, nothing puts gas in the tank of organizational stakeholders than conversations like these. Don't, Don't you find that to be true, Lindsay? Oh, that's why I love it. Even though it's so messy, I bet that's that's why. It, I mean, it's absolutely crucial, and and organizations rarely take the time for it. Yep, but they are they're usually glad glad that they did. So, you've described why they matter. You've described how they help organizations, how they make them stronger, how they can really send a message to the outside world, be it a staff me- prospective staff member or a board member, that this is a place for them. And you've talked a little bit about the process. So what can get in the way? What are the pitfalls to avoid? What can thwart a really good process? Okay, one, one pitfall to avoid. When you're done with that messy meeting and you appoint someone to draft the statement, uh, you're going to need a few more meetings to reflect on the drafts and to iterate and to make decisions about what seems most core and you know what makes the final cut. And you're also going to need to wordsmith the bejesus out of this. And <laughs> right. I do, I really think this is the best kind of wordsmithing. It's it it really is the one time that it you should be extremely intentional with your language and and the wordsmithing process is going to lead to debates that are that are important. Mm-hmm. But I, I one pitfall to avoid is putting a bunch of busy people into a room to do those later versions of the wordsmithing. It's I mean that can just be extremely painful for people who aren't into it. Yeah. Some people love doing that work. Some people are very bored by it, and you just you don't want to waste everyone's time. I think on the flip side, another pitfall to avoid is trying to do this entirely yourself. Oh, yeah. It's often extremely tempting. And as someone who loves writing these, and who just really enjoys writing them, like I'm I'm a good listener. I'm attuned to when people are genuinely excited mm-hmm. and when an idea resonates. And I love trying to capture it in words. But I've learned this lesson Value statements that are written by one person just do not stick. They yeah. honestly get ignored. Even if they're beautiful and brilliant, it's almost like they were, weren't written at all because the, the power here is in the collaboration right. and in the and, conversation. And that leads to an ownership of those values yeah. that yeah. doesn't come if you write them. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I hear Amir you say is that a pitfall overall for this process is if you do not give it sufficient time. Mm, yes. Right? Is it requires time. So if someone's busy and they have 45 minutes to, you know, we have to copy edit these value statements, right? It's a task. It is incumbent upon the group to see every conversation as part of the process, not just a task, right? Yeah, go ahead. And, and to allow this to not drag on forever, you really... 
I, I think that setting a goal to complete this over the course of a couple months is smart. Also, once you have a draft set of statements that you feel pretty good about, you want a lot of people to read them and to read them critically. Because I think, honestly, another pitfall is to end up with a set of statements that unnecessarily alienates people. And yeah, this is hard. I mean, it's a vulnerable process. It's a process that can build your conviction and your resilience. And there are some real judgment calls to make. So yeah, if, if a constituent you care about hates one of your statements, you need to, you need some time to reflect on that. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, and I, you need to reflect if that person has a legitimate, like it's, it's something legitimate as opposed to someone who is exercising power in a way that may not be appropriate. Right. Yeah. Which kind of leads or, me. Oh, go ahead. Go. Well, I was gonna, or, or it's the case that it was not a core value to begin with. The fact that, you know, they can love the organization and you can also love the organization and be seeing it similarly. Yeah, perhaps this was not a core value to begin with. Honestly, do you remember that TED talk that we watched together on cultural intelligence? Yes. And yeah, so it was all about having core values and then flex values. Yes, and yes, your flex yes. values are your areas of open-mindedness and your willingness and your interest in seeing other perspectives. And so sometimes, I don't know, if 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 you end up with a value that others hate, sometimes the, the right call is to just slash it from the list, mm-hmm. leaving you with only two or three core values. But there's a lot of strength in only having two or three core values because it means that that you're flexible on a lot. Yeah, but, interesting. But this interesting. process can illuminate those areas. Um, one more question about pitfalls. You can have the wrong people at the table, can't you? Right? So you're, I mean, you know, you do this for a living. You bring people together. But you are not the person who decides who this group of people is. Mm-hmm. And you can end up with people, not necessarily the right people at the table. And I don't know if you have a thought about how you go about knowing whether they are or ensuring that they are the right people, or maybe you disagree with me and just think whoever's at the table is the right person. Well, someone eventually needs to decide. And real areas of debate might arise and and real areas of conflict and contention might arise. And I think that this is where, yeah, this is where it it really falls on leadership to make judgment calls about the organization's principles. And and like I said, you also have the option to just slash it from the list and not not make a statement one way or the other. But I I I don't know. I think there's real strength in being bold about this. Yeah. And being bold about what you believe and why. And if you're convinced about some of these statements, I um, think that this is the nature of strategic visioning in general, that you end this process and some people feel that some people decide to, to hop off the bus Yeah, <laughs> once a strong strategic vision is laid out. They realize, oh, okay, this is not the organization I necessarily thought it was, or, oh, wow, they're going in a direction that like totally respect, but eh, like not really for me. And that's, yeah, that's, it's really perfectly fine. And actually it leaves you with a stronger organization when you put stakes in the ground and you let your community react to it. What does it require? And then I want to talk about how you bring these to life in the process of a strategic vision, the, in the strategic visioning process. What does this process that you've described, Lindsay, what does it demand of a, 
of the leadership, whether that's the board chair or the, you know, more often than not, the sort of CEO or the executive director? What does it demand of them? That's a good question. I, I think a sense of institutional history yeah. and an openness to listen to constituencies because others might see your organization in a way that you didn't, don't necessarily see it. But yeah, you need to be able to hear it and absorb some of everything. Yeah. And draw on what drew you to that leadership place in the first leadership position in the first place, your, your own conviction about this organization and what matters. And yeah, the ability to make judgment calls. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, it's funny. I, the boldest value statement that I've ever read was for the movement for black lives and their first, first of all, they have a very short value statement. It's only three, three values total. And the first one is we are abolitionist. Mm. We believe that prisons, police, all other institutions that inflict violence on black people must be abolished and they must be replaced by institutions that value and affirm the flourishing of black lives. And then they go on to, to say that we, we center the experiences and leadership of the most marginalized black people, including but not limited to those who are trans, queer, women and femmes, currently and formerly incarcerated, immigrants, disabled, working class and poor. And yeah, I mean, that's a bold statement. Right. It's, it, it's a statement that has the potential to alienate people. You might read that and think, oh, this is not for me. Or you read it and you say, well, I want to learn more about yes. this. Yeah, there's, n- there's, there's nothing... There's, there's no middle ground in that value statement. You're, you're, you're either, it either gets you at a hello or gets you moving in a different direction altogether. Yeah. 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 And it, I mean, it's an example of, of strong leadership of, 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 a, of setting a, a long-term vision that even though many people might not agree with it. I think as is the case with, in many situations, leadership really needs to respect the people that are around the table. Leadership needs to lean back a little and listen a little more because, you know, generally the person at the head of the table has the, their voice carries the most weight. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, this is true with the strategic visioning process in general, that if you have, you know, we've seen it where there are leaders that operate that way and the process is just so good and, and the process is owned and the outcome is owned so just something for you to think about as a leader listening on this topic. I, I guess we just, we don't have too much more time and I want to actually now put the value statements and the process into the overriding strategy process. So where does it fit in and where does it take you as it relates to developing that strategic vision? So maybe you could sort of put it back in its place in the strategic visioning process and sort of where it fits and where it takes you. I think it can fit any number of places. I've never done this with a group, but I think it could actually be done at the very beginning. I think these conversations yeah, could be happen at the very, very beginning. But but maybe as an outside consultant, that's actually hard because it's so abstract. I, I'm still learning a lot about the organization at the beginning of the process. And so mm-hmm. but but honestly, it can ha- it it happens at the very least in parallel with this work to clarify your mission, to clarify your vision for the future. Like I said, I mean, those, those questions that you ask everyone to reflect on at the very beginning, they're the same questions that you would ask 
for a broader strategic visioning process. That initial meeting is going to leave you with so many ideas and so much content that is about where the organization is headed, what the organization should be investing in, what the organization's priorities are. It's values is really, yeah, values, you know, this is the whole Jim Collins thing. Values is one one third of that pie along with mission and vision for the future. And, and all three of these together give someone everything they need to know about you, whether they are considering donating to you, whether they're considering joining your staff or becoming a member of your association. And yeah, these pieces come together in tandem. So interesting. You and I often when we talk and with microphones in front of us, we are attempting to sort of evangelize about the the treasures you find in strategy work as far too many organizations see it as something they have to sort of get through. And can I just say, I'm going to increase my revenue by 10% and... (laughs) And just call it a day. And what I think Lindsay has outlined here today is kind of a the, the closing argument for the kinds of conversations that people, you know, we talk about this a lot since the pandemic, that people are so have such an appetite for meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. To have a couple of hours of conversation with people who care about your organization deeply and to really drive into that notion of meaning and purpose, it is really fueling for people at a, in, a, in a world in which that's what people are looking for. And I, I do hope that when you listen to Lindsay, and I encourage you to listen to our sort of first parter as well, is just recognize that you're giving, you're giving people, as a leader, you're giving people such a gift to be able to really dig into these things because, you know, it's, it's fundamentally, you know, this conversation about what do I care about as a person? What do I value? What's meaningful to me? And does it align with what this organization does? And like, Having big conversations and being able to offer that to people feels just feels like a gift to me, not a task at all. And I, I hope that that's something that you've walked away with. And I know that Lindsay, one of the things that makes Lindsay so good as we kind of close out here at what she does is, yes, she can synthesize and listen and hear, and she's a fantastic writer. But these conversations fuel you too, don't they, Lindsay? Oh, like I said, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I get a visceral, it's visceral for me, figuring out why people are drawn to an institution, what makes it magic, why they throw their time and their money at it. I mean, this stuff is really, oh, it's really hard to put into words, but I love to try. Yeah. It is profoundly meaningful when you think about the kinds of problems people are trying to solve in the world. Mm -hmm. And when you think about people donating their their own dollars to support it. Like there's so much at stake that not taking this time just feels kind of irresponsible actually. So I hope that you have grabbed some some goodness from this conversation. Lindsay, any last any last thoughts or comments before we wrap? It this it's a pleasure to talk to you about this, Joan. I love that you yeah, that you get it and can evangelize for it. And you're very kind. Yeah, towards me. And it's always been an honor to chat. 
yeah, like I said, I, 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 I think it's so important. It's why I invest time in bringing people on to talk about these meaningful, purposeful conversations because your organization needs to have them, but so too do your stakeholders. They need this too. It's something that people really, really need in their lives, and you can give that to them by having these kinds of conversations as you draw them closer and closer to your organization. So so that said, go forth and think differently as you look at websites of other organizations about their value statements and, you know, do some homework about this. And really, it's not a box checking exercise in the slightest. It is a part of your effort to find a core identity for your organization that makes your particular organization kind of magical. So with that said, please take good care of yourselves. Thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for joining me. And I will see you next time. Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.